if you actually want to understand what critical race theory is, how did it come about? How does everything kind of tie in together? This is like by by far the the best thing that I've come across. Welcome back to Mind Matters. I'm Harrison Cayley, joined in the studio by Elon Martin, Adam Daniels, and Luke Koch. Today, I'm using my NPR voice. No, not Today, we will be discussing uh, this book by James Lindsay, Race Marxism. Um, came out, I believe, earlier this year, maybe late last year. No, earlier this year, yeah, February. And... Lindsay based this book on a series of lectures that he gave, which are now available on his YouTube channel. So we'll link to those. So if you don't want to read the book, you can at least listen to the lectures. Alternatively, if you want to skip the lectures and get more data and more writing, you can read the book. So we've been reading this, listening to the lectures. Um, I've just read the the first couple chapters and listened to a few of the lectures. Uh, I believe Luke's finished the book. Did you read the whole book, Luke? Uh, almost. Almost? Okay, so we've maybe got most of the book read between all of us. Maybe we'll come back to it when we all finish it. But, <laughs> but we're going to talk about it. This book, Race Marxism, it is subtitled The Truth About Critical Race Theory and Praxis. So it's essentially an introduction to an explanation of what critical race theory is. Now, it's kind of interesting to see how this uh, movement gets portrayed in the media because there are some controversies, right? Because if you look at it in terms of like polarized U.S. politics, on the one hand, you've got the conservatives who are saying, oh my God, critical race theory is this uh, evil ideology and it's taken over our schools. You gotta, gotta hide, your, hide your wives, hide your kids. And then when you, when you see comments like that on Twitter or whatever or in the news, then you'll get a response from often a, a critical race theorist that will come up with a um, or an, an instant rejoinder and saying, oh, usually something like, oh, well, critical race, there's no critical race theories in this theory in taught in the schools. Um, it's, you know, strictly a, a legal theory that is taught in, you know, in, in university legal courses or something of the sort. But the, the messaging has kind of shifted because it's kind of become inescapable to, well, it's become impossible to escape the fact that critical race theory is taught in schools, um, you know, in um, elementary schools, high, junior, junior high school, junior, what are they called in the U.S.? Middle yeah. schools. Middle schools. And, uh, and of course, in universities. And so then it's like, oh, well, it, there's a whole convoluted um, back and forth series and how the, 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 excuse, the excuses morph and shift over time. But there's, so this, this book, it, what Lindsay basically does is read all of the essential critical race theory literature and then describe what it is. And that's essentially a lot of, well, that's the first few chapters. And then, and then he gets into kind of where these ideas came from, the kind of ideological and ideational history of where these ideas came from, going back, you know, to the 60s, 70s, and then further back, going back to, you know, philosophers like, and, and thinkers like Marx. And Hegel, we'll, we'll talk about Hegel a bit. And so he gives an entire history of it, an entire overview of it. And just the, the immediate thing that strikes me just off the bat <clears throat> is that probably for the most part, people who aren't already anti-CRT or critical race theory probably have no idea what it is. 
And if they do have any idea of what it is, then they're a critical, they're like a, you know, a bona fide critical race theorist. And they have an interest in not having the people that kind of think they know what it is, just have a vague idea of what it is. They've got an interest in those people not understanding what it is, because it's not what it appears on the surface. Um, you might get this idea that it's just, you know, it's just anti-racist. It's just a, it's just teaching about the the realities of race and the realities of, uh, you know, discrimination, and that critical race theory is trying to to bring that to the forefront and to fix it. And that is not, it's not, um, in fact, what critical race theory is at all. There's a, it's a, it's an, it's a very strange um, worldview, a very strange system. And as, um, well, we might get into, well, we probably will get into this. Like Lindsay's arguing, he calls the books race, race Marxism, that it is a form of Marxism for various reasons. Um, for one, that the people that started it, that uh, created it, um, were themselves self-proclaimed Marxists, or at least a portion of them. And so it has this kind of direct lineage where you go back through um, through all these thinkers. You can trace a direct line back to Marx, but it is different it, because the, in, in Lindsay's framing, the reason he justifies this as being a form of Marxism is that you could essentially call classical, you know, true Marxism, uh, class Marxism, or um, um, maybe economic Marxism where it had to do with uh, the classes, the, the proletariat and the bourgeoisie, and the, the kind of socialist communist view against the, the capitalist overlords. And so that was the framework in which to, to look at things. Now, the, and the way he tells the story then, along came the, 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 the critical theorists, who, well, and as, as well as the postmodernists, who looked at Marxism and said, okay, well, this isn't working now. And in the case of like Marcuse and the critical theorists, they were saying, well, Look at um, what liberalism, like a liberal democratic society, has brought us. Well, it's actually made people really comfortable. Um, there's a, a degree of economic um, stability and and wealth that once the once the poor classes, you know, get a little bit of that, they seem to just become content with it and to not realize that they are um, still totally oppressed. So we're going to have to figure out how to something different to do because because people aren't getting up in arms about the the economic and the class situation they're accepting their slavery as um you know working class people or, or middle class people and what we really need to to fix the world is to to have a revolution and so the way to do that is to shift shift the focus away from those class and economic interests or class and economic um categories to in critical race theories uh case to racial issues so instead of there being this thing called bourgeois property, capital, now there is this kind of abstract type of property, whiteness, that must be then redistributed because the power is held, uh, the power is whiteness and there's a kind of like a, a, a conspiracy among people to hoard whiteness and use it to, um, to oppress everyone who doesn't have whiteness. And if you happen, and whiteness is this, again, this strange word, it doesn't mean what you think it is. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, 
essentially when you when it comes down to it it doesn't mean the color of someone's skin it doesn't mean a white colored skin it means it's it's this it's this abstract thing that just means where the power is where the systemic power comes from and is controlled and so if you have minorities or people with different colored skin who then access some of that power like a black person or an asian person who becomes wealthy and becomes part of that that uh that uh, power elite or that that ruling elite, then they are no longer considered, you know, authentic an, an authentic voice of of their of their race. They are considered to be white adjacent. So they have appropriated for themselves a bit of that whiteness. And so this this I just I say this just to underscore the point that I just made about um, critical race theory not being obvious on the surface what it means. So oftentimes when you'll have a discussion with someone or you'll you'll see people arguing about it, oftentimes the people that that will support or defend critical race theory don't actually know what it means and that the words that are used by critical race theorists, even if they seem like normal words that you think you know the definition of, they all have their own specialized definitions. So if you just look at critical race theory, critical doesn't mean critical. It means critical, as in critical theory which means that you find something and then you ruthlessly critique it no matter what you just it's it's kind of like the the um the the, the borderline partner just uh finding everything they can to to critique to to, to to critique their partner just coming up with you know everything they do is automatically wrong so you just have to figure out how they're wrong and then race doesn't mean race and theory doesn't mean theory right in the name you've got three words that actually don't mean what they what they seem to mean. And that applies to pretty much every buzzword that is associated with with critical race theory. It all means something else. And if you just read their own literature like Lindsay has done, you can see, you can find out what they mean by it. And he's got a really helpful um, resource on his New, New Discourses website, the Translations from the Wokish, which is a, a, not just critical race theory, but it's a, a, a dictionary an encyclopedia of all of the kind of woke terms and what they really mean, like how the how um, how people who are kind of like professional theorists theorists um, use these words, and they often have very little connection, if any, to what the word actually means. So, and whiteness is an example, like I just mentioned. So before I just continue rambling on. I want to ask you guys for some initial thoughts on uh, this book, on this idea, or critical race theory in general. Um, just take it away, guys. If I might jump in first, then, uh, just to, to speak about the book itself and what Lindsay uh, set out to do and then what he actually did, I think this resource is amazing in terms of its breadth and depth in understanding what critical race theory is. And also, as he says in the book a number of times, critical race theory is as critical race theory does, mm -hmm. um, which he, you know, also points out as kind of cliched. Um, but it really does come down to that, that, and they and he points out places where they even say as much that you cannot separate the action of anti-racism from the theory of anti-racism, because that's kind of what, for something to be a critical theory, capital C, capital T, it must also have a practical aspect. And so critical race theory is a critical theory in that respect, because 
it is both theory and praxis, uh, praxis or practice at the same time. Um, so, so again, like his ability to have drilled down and penned down the the core tenets and the core beliefs, as well as backed it up with all cite all the citations necessary to uh, to support his um, his points that that these are in fact what these people believe. Like he's he supports it with actual evidence from their from their own literature um, that. You know he's not um, he's not just making stuff up, trying to make everything look bad. He's like, no, this is this is what these people believe, and this is where they say it, and this is how they say it. And yes, this is a little wordy here, and this is kind of hard to follow, but essentially, this is what it comes down to. And then he gives even more supportive evidence to it. It's not just like you know any of the the thirteen tenets of critical race theory that he points out as being kind of the core principles. Each one of them has multiple you know, three or four sometimes citations from various different lead thinkers within the community to support the fact that this is in fact a core tenet um, of what critical race theory is and what it does. And so again, like it is fantastic in terms of a resource. If you actually want to understand what critical race theory is, how did it come about? How does everything kind of tie in together? This is like by by far the the best thing that I've come across, and and not just for critical race theory itself, but also kind of the, um, but also explaining neo Marxism, as well. Like I, it's got, uh, an 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 insightful look into what neo Marxism is, um, which was always kind of nebulous for me in terms of the distinction between classical and neo, um he helps me to clarify the distinctions there as well. So it's not even just critical race theory. It's, it, it's, it's so well researched that it's, you know, it's useful for multiple different purposes. So that's how I wanted to, to start off with. I was even thinking while reading it, that if a critical race theorist were to take the first two chapters and just delete the, um, like the the sarcastic or like critical comments that that Lindsay puts in there, mm -hmm. that they would, you know, it would be really handy for for critical race theorists because I mean it's in their own words everything. It's a very you know concise summary, more concise or more I wouldn't say concise, more um, comprehensive and you know well put together than the definitions that they offer. Because as he points out, like in the talks and in the book, oftentimes when you see someone. Uh, a critical race theory theorist dis discussing discussing CRT, they'll say, "Oh, these are the five, you know, main tenets. These are the six. You know, they 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 all give a different number, and they never quite um, align with the with each other. So they don't actually agree amongst themselves, or uh, they agree amongst each uh, amongst themselves, but don't actually have a a like party platform. So Lindsay has essentially written their party platform for them. These are our core beliefs." And here's, you know, here's all the, all the people and all the, all the different ways it fits together and all this, the support for each from, you know, from, from each of these different theorists. And so he's put it together all nicely for them mm -hmm. and, uh, they should be, they should be thanking him for that because they can use it. They can just delete the parts where he says, this is dumb. Um, <clears throat> and then it's basically a brochure. Yeah, it's a brochure, but, uh, <laughs> did, well, let me keep going. Or? I, I would say that that's part of his brilliance too. Uh, especially in listening to his lectures, um, because in order to critique something, you have to be able to 
present it objectively and to state things as they are, and that's exactly what he does. In fact, there were several times he was uh, laying everything out about what these people think and have written about that I thought, oh, he almost sounds as though he's he's an advocate of it uh, because he precisely because he presents it so well. But it just speaks to the fact that he's done so much homework on the subject. And then after you've heard him uh, explicate where these ideas have come from, what school of thought, who said what and where, he then proceeds to methodically uh, break down the reasons why versions of these theories have never worked before. Um, and precisely why they're, they're failures and destructive in nature. And on that note, um, one of the things he focuses on, one of the, the thinkers is a uh, individual named Herbert Marcuse, who was very popular um, in my liberal arts education at the time in the early to mid nineties. Uh, Marcuse's books came up a number of times as uh, selected reading material along with Derrida and Baudrillard and a few others that he mentions, uh, which I had a, a, a natural aversion to, or perhaps laziness, uh, could it one or the other. Um, but one of the things that he points out about Marcuse's material, who is uh, very popular in the 60s, um, is this uh, idea that the the, the policies and the culture and society that made up the, the hegemony of oppression, of racial oppression, had to be broken up uh, from within. Um, that it, there had to be a, uh, what he called a, a counter hegemony uh, or cultural Marxism that specifically went after religion, family, education, media, and law. And, you know, if, if this wasn't some kind of blueprint or, because um, you said a little earlier, Adam, that there was, you know, there, there's this step between taking it uh, theoretically and then bringing it into actual fruition or, you know, actualization. And this is what these folks intended to do. They didn't want these ideas to be merely theoretical. The whole point was to... Um, to bring them into being. Uh, and Marcuse was one of these individuals that Lindsay points out who was responsible for um, uh, inciting a, a movement towards putting ideas that would break down the institutions of religion, family, education, media, and law. And, uh, you know, for anyone who's been paying attention to contemporary political and social issues, especially in the U.S. and in the West, it appears as though these institutions are precisely what is under attack, um, and that there's a, a breakdown in in whatever traditional or cohesive uh, values uh, that these institutions have been holding up for so many decades or, or hundreds of years. So he attributes th this attack specifically, uh, at least in part, to Mercuza and this idea of creating the counter-hegemony from within via cultural Marxism. Um, 
so I, I thought that that was fascinating. Um, as a side note, he includes the fact that Mercuse was, uh, he was a, uh, a Jewish Marxist from Germany, um, was recruited by the uh, OSS or the Office of Strategic Services in the U.S., um, which was the the progenitor to uh, the CIA. Um, so I th he included that in there and and didn't get much into it, at least in the parts that I uh, listened to. Uh, but I thought that that was uh, it, it was just kind of dangling there as a fact that I didn't I didn't quite know what to do with, um, but it did. It did in part remind me of the idea of uh, the CIA's um, uh, kind of uh, psyops in the 60s and, and all the psychological operations that we, we know that they've been a part of for many years. So uh, not, not something to delve into today, I don't think, but definitely a, a piece of the puzzle that, that um, I had wondered about because ostensibly Mercuse was... Uh, taken to do analysis for the OSS uh, after World War II to understand uh, the Nazi movement, to understand communism. And then what, 20 years later, he becomes the superstar for, uh, I guess, neo-Marxism and, and the movement that birthed one of the most destructive um, kind of cultural and societal and political movements we're, we're seeing today. So... Don't know, you know, much else to say about that, um, but uh, perhaps it's a, a topic for a later time. And uh, those are some of the points that that struck me uh, the most so far. Yeah, Ilan, just to add a little bit about uh, what you said about Marcuse, uh, it's actually really interesting um, to see how how much these ideas have shaped so so much, right? Um, and it's it's a bit weird that it, it especially seems to have taken America um, or the U.S. Uh, so much. Uh, and then uh, it, it was kind of transplanted to this whole race issue, right, which wasn't that much of an issue in in Europe. It's actually a, a very specifically, um, a specific U.S. issue, this, this uh, slavery and all of that. Uh, so it's kind of interesting how that that whole um, mindset got transplanted and then applied to um, the the U.S. context, basically. And uh, maybe to to add my um, authentic German voice and give do some contextualization here. Oh no, um, we we might, can, we might uh, get banned for this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean we got got to got to talk their language, right? Yeah. No, but it's actually interesting as you as. You, we all know, you know, um, a lot of this stuff comes actually from Germany, right? Um, and uh, it's 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 kind of interesting in that that regard. That um, as I said, that it's kind of went went over the Atlantic, um, and uh, but it, it's maybe useful um, to talk a little bit about how how this whole thing emerged in Germany um, because. Um, it's difficult, I think, for for people in in America sometimes to understand. And I think Lindsay, um, he needed to, you know, like uh, put all of that together purely from the theory. You know, pure guy, a poor guy. I mean, that, that's really really tough job um, because it's so jumbled and it it was jumbled, you know, 
uh, over every generation of theory, it, it got more jumbled and uh, even diff more difficult to to understand. So um, yeah, I, I just want to um, say a few things about that because you um, obviously like um, you must imagine Germany after uh, World War II. Uh, it was a it was a di very different situation than let's say in the U.S. Uh, so you you basically still uh, you had like a lot of destruction obviously in like very hard years after the war and then you had this what they call like the economic miracle um, in Germany where uh, suddenly everything you know the, the economy boomed and all of that but uh, the thing is that um, Nazism actually you know I mean they, there were still Nazis around right I mean obviously and uh, so for example my my dad. Uh, he had literal literal Nazis as school teachers, you know, when he went to school, um, even though it was, uh, you know, after the war in the, in the fifties and sixties. Uh, so, so you, that's that's kind of uh, important to keep in mind because that explains a bit, you know, where where all this idea comes from, right? And uh, and also at the time, there many people saw communism basically at, as the good guys. Um, who fought, you know, communism fought, communists fought against Nazism. And uh, obviously the Russians um, liberated Germany and all of that. And so uh, there is this context that uh, communism was was seen as the, basically the, the antagonist to, to Nazism and the force that defeated uh, Nazism. And so, so you have this context and then these um, uh, kind of neo-Marxist thinkers emerge in the, uh, in the Frankfurt School, uh, who basically um, uh, have this tradition, right? Adorno wrote that famous book about uh, the authoritarian, what was it? Uh, the authoritarian personality. personality. Yeah. Um, and and that's, that's precisely the, the context, right? Because the idea was, okay, you have a, a conservatism that is kind of linked to Nazism. So conservatism um, is, is basically a, a road to uh, to or a way towards nazism and it, it naturally leads towards nazism and and communism is the force that is against nazism so that that was kind of in the air at the time and uh yeah and so they um basically uh, brought this this whole new marxist idea to the table that um it's uh we, we got to see it in a in a bit of a different different context because the the pure class struggle um as marx had it uh it, it wasn't really like that uh that much of an issue because the the workers were really doing good you know and then the pro proletariat was booming in the in the 50s <laughs> and uh, i mean my parents when they were young um they were actually like uh communist sympathizers and they told me stories how they went around you know handing out leaflets to to you know workers basically and the workers were like i mean what what do you guys want right i just bought a new car you know a new house you know <laughs> like so I'm, I'm on the roll here i mean what, what are you telling me that i'm oppressed you know it's like um and uh, and that's that's basically what we're seeing today too right with the whole mm -hmm. um uh, crt thing um, so the, the idea came up then that to say, and, and Marcuse was uh, really big on this, I think, um, okay, so there is this consumerist society, right, that uh, bombards people with uh, with advertising um, and all of that. And they basically um, 
brainwashed into thinking that they are not oppressed and that everything is fine because they can buy a new washing machine and and and, and all of that. Uh, and that's uh, that, yeah. That, so the, I think that's uh, the, the the problem is you know with these kinds of argu argument there is a kernel of truth in it mm -hmm. I suppose because um, it's uh, you know we, we tend to glorify a bit like the the post war era uh, because it it was better in many ways than than today but uh, obviously I mean there was a, a lot of stupid ads you know and <laughs> and all, all of that stuff just was born there right and and uh, mm -hmm. in, in that period and and people were uh, kind of like you know seeing this and and some intellectual think that I mean that's not good you know I mean that's pretty dumb and uh, you know population gets dumped down so uh, th there is that that kind of uh, context but the thing is um uh, if you take it too far and uh, you end up with these kinds of arguments that defeat common sense right so you're basically telling people they're miserable even though they're happy so i mean that's that's just um really dangerous that that line of thought um and uh, yeah and and yeah about marcuse uh, maybe to to add one point i mean he obviously like um uh, kind of used or combined marxism with uh, with freud um and came up with this um whole line of thought that uh, you know like there's a, a an element of sexual um suppression going on uh that uh actually needs to to be liberated uh you know for for the revolution to happen or like for the the consciousness to be raised um the class consciousness this is a marxist term klassenbewusstsein in german uh and so that this uh and this is, is a whole other issue this whole like com combining F freud with marx uh, and I think we see lots of cultural echoes still um, of that idea. For example, the the um, idea that um, c closet gays are like becoming tyrants. You know, if they're not like cannot express their their sexuality and they become like hyper conservative and and something like that. I think wasn't it like in American Beauty this mm -hmm. kind of motive? Yeah. But uh, maybe I uh, yeah. Uh, so, so that goes back to this, you know, Freud-Marx combination that was really big then. Um, and yeah, so I just wanted to to tell that little story a bit, maybe to give some some background. It, it was actually a very specific German historical situation where where all of that arose, right? And people mm -hmm. like my dad, you know, I mean, now people are screaming Nazi, Nazi, you know, and but at the time there were like nazis around right yeah. and and so there's a whole um <laughs> there's there's a whole history and it's kind of weird to see like this this very german thing um taking on a life of its own and then getting transplanted to to the us and the whole slavery history which is totally different obviously and uh, and then it all gets all mixed together and produces this this kind of weird you know, I mean, everyone is racist and you, you just cannot see uh, that you're racist, even though you are, you know, because your whatever race consciousness is suppressed and you, you don't know that you're the oppressor and, and, and all that um, kind of stuff. So, yeah, just mm -hmm. wanted to to make that point. Well, on the on the on the topic of Freud, I had a I had a thought <clears throat> while reading. So I don't I don't know if 
if Lindsay gets into Freud at all, but this is, I don't know if this is a criticism, but I, I think a possible response to, to Lindsay's like calling of calling this ideology race Marxism is that, well, you'll have, you can have Marx or you will have Marxists and just kind of maybe just nerdy academic types will say, well, technically it's not Marxism because A, B, C, and E, right? Be because it kind of divests itself of things which are centrally Marxist, like the economic and class basis. So when you take those away, can you really call it Marxism? Well, there's almost like a, in the, in the literature, there's often like two adjectives that are used, like Marxist or Marxian. And if I remember correctly, I don't know if I'll get this right. Like Marxist is like, you know, straight out of Marx and Marxian is kind of like influenced by Marx. At least that's the way I've come to understand it might be totally wrong, but there might be a, a third one like Marx-ish. It's like uh, there's a shape to the Marx to, to Marxism like that, that Lindsay lays out. Like you have this property, which is analyzed as the, the thing that, that one group, one elite group has, and then that needs to be dismantled and distributed because other people are lacking it. And so he's, he's got a, a more recent podcast where he, he applies that same principle to all of the social justice ideologies. So you've got like, a, um, in feminism, it, feminism is sex Marxism. And then like queer ideology is sex, gender, and, um, one sexuality Marxism. And then each, each one of these different fields that are, that are in there, you just, you just take one different quality and you just plug and play and, and the same thing happens. So it's more like a, an overall shape with, uh, you know, with, uh, blanks that you can fill in and then the, the formula will work or it's a formula better. That's a better word for it. And, um, so a possible response or a popular, a possible criticism might be, well, well all, are there other, ideologies like either in history or contemporary contemporary or in different cultures even that don't have the ideological pedigree like the 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 actual line of succession down from Marx to them that have this this formula um, I don't know the answer to that but on, on a similar note there's a similar Freudianism going on in in the idea of of analysis because one of the criticisms of Freudianism is that it's kind of this this box from which you can't escape. So when you when you are being analyzed or when you are analyzing someone, um, you know what the truth is, and you say, okay, well, this is what you're actually thinking, this is what you actually experienced, and this is what your actual motivations are. And then the person says, well, no, they're not. And they say, oh, well, that's just a defense mechanism. You're only saying that because what I'm saying is true and you don't want to admit what I'm saying is true. And so in, in an extreme case, psychoanalysis is like a form of, um, or can be a form of, um, just mind programming or like ga gaslighting where, no, this is what you actually think. Well, no, it's not. I don't actually think that. Well, yes, it is. And the only reason you, that you're saying that, uh, you disagree is because that's a, a defense reaction against us yeah. telling, you know, me telling you what the truth is about what you actually believe. Let, let me see if I can, uh, say what you're saying in a different way, mm -hmm. because, um, like I think, the Freudianism is viewing life and your experience and everything about you through the prism of sexuality and repressed sexuality, where uh, cultural and Marxism death. <laughs> and that and and cultural Marxism is this, like you said, it's just kind of uh, plug and play. You know, if if you're a minority, if you are a woman, if you are queer or transgender. Uh, there are all of these prisms 
and prisons from which to view your experience of life that you have not yet realized are the reason why you're not living a more full, uh, wealthy, uh, um, fulfilling life. So, and Zionism is the same way. I, I just thought I would throw that in as well. Where, where most everything is, what is good for me and my subgroup? And the solution would seem to be to, uh, to appropriate power externally for oneself at the expense of knocking down everything else, of destroying everything else through revolution or through infiltration uh, via cultural Marxism of all the institutions that have maintained uh, what, whatever it is that is now oppressing a person. And he had an excellent, I thought it, I thought it really came down to this uh, one quote that he, uh, that he stated in one of his lectures, uh, insofar as anything can come down to a single quote, this is one of the most important ones. He says, critical theory exists to induce psychopathologies by awakening, I'm paraphrasing, by awakening a critical consciousness in him until he is no longer able to function. So uh, according to these cultural Marxists, according to these um, advocates of critical race theory, everyone who isn't yet dissatisfied with life to the extent that they're dysfunctional, to the extent that they can't uh, operate and exist within the uh, established norms or, or contexts of, of where they are and, and how they live, uh, they have to be pushed. They have to be told. And this is what you were getting at a little bit before, I thought, Luke, um, this induced pathology. Uh, and it's the reason, I think, why Lindsay, in some of his writings over the past year and a half to two years, has been able to appropriate um, panerology and, and to see how these ideologies are, in, are indeed uh, inducing uh, pathology in people. It, it seems to be the, um, it's, it's the weaponization of, of these ideas in order, to, in order to bring about all of these movements that are supposed to make things better, but in fact have always, in whatever form they've taken throughout history, and he makes this point too, and we've been talking about this too, Harrison, in your studies on uh, Mao's revolution, uh, they've always been a dismal failure in whatever form that they took. But according to these people, well, that's just, it, it hasn't, cultural Marxism hasn't yet been refined to, to the point that we are going to refine it. Uh, it, hasn't been, it hasn't been yet perfected in the way that we're about to do. Um, so th that is the rationalization that these individuals have given themselves to justify their, uh, their new version of cultural Marxism, neo-Marxism, this new hodgepodge of, of um, ideological possession and identity politics. There was, so there's a, there's a point in there that somewhere that, <laughs> that well, there's a couple of points in there, but um, there's a few things in particular that 
that I've kind of been like trying to wrap my head around. And that is how, I mean, you know, when you, when you take it CRT and you look at it through a, a panorological lens, um, to, to use their own framework against them, um, you, you see that there's, there's some kind of like, there's some kind of kernel here kind of going back, you know, from CRT to neo-Marxism to Marx himself to, to Rousseau, um, that that's, that's lying in wait that doesn't quite, I don't know if it doesn't know what it is or they don't know what it is, or if it is, you know, kind of like in a panorological sense, um, it can't be stated because it's so revolting. Um, and so like one of the things is like with uh, CRT and with Marxism in general, they don't have an actual plan for anything. Like with a lot of these kind of liberal ideas, uh, it's like what we talked about on a previous show where the idea is that man by his very nature and Marx would say this as well. And even Hitler to some degree, he thought a similar thing where history inevitably was moving forward towards utopia. And so all of the things that they're doing are, are an, an attempt to move, to remove the blocks that are in the way towards man reaching utopia towards for hit from history, reaching utopia. And so that's, that's why they don't have an actual plan because they just see that as the inevitability where you remove the breaks of, uh, uh of racism of whiteness and whatnot, man will have, will inevitably reach his utopian dream um, by virtue of the fact that that is where nature and history is set to go. But there's but there's something in uh, the the whiteness as property that that they talk about within CRT that you know for uh, for Marx it was. Um, it was rights. It was property, property rights, bourgeois property needed to be abolished in CRT. It's whiteness. Whiteness is property that needs to be abolished. And why does it need to be abolished? Because there's something there that's not equitably distributed. And so it needs to be. And so I'm thinking like, well, what does that really mean? You know, um, because like one of the reasons why they hate liberalism so much is because it's worked so well. You know, it's like you were saying, uh, Luke, um, when your parents were, were giving out pamphlets, people were like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm, I'm fine. I'm happy. Like I've got my house. I've got my family. I've got my kids. Like I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm content. What do I need a revolution for? And so that, that's an indication to me that what they're actually seeking, uh, is not what you and I would normally think of in terms of like, uh, something good or wholesome or necessary for life. It's like, uh, for normal people, it's just, you know, the bare necessities and, you know, a roof over your heads and, you know, some family and that's all you need in life. But for these people, they need something different and they need to, to, to remove the blockages that's preventing them from getting what they want, because that's not what they want. They don't want the, the normal, you know, house and kids and, um, you don't even have to look at it from a materialist standpoint. It's like those kinds of relationships. That's not the thing that drives them. There's something else there. And so I'm, if well, you want to like try and yeah. help me like tease out well, what's going on. And, and this is, this gets back to Elan's comment, the, the paraphrase of what Lindsay wrote about inducing psychopathology is that it, well, this is what Lobachevsky says. He's, <laughs> he's, he's very, uh, he's very, he's very non-queer. 
in his his writing, he's basically saying that there there are always in any society a group of people who are seemingly well th- that are disaffected and um, and estranged from from society, just from the the ordinary state of affairs. And they see the they see the world as this oppressive place because there's something about themselves that does that doesn't fit into that world, into this world. And so they see they see what, everything going great for for the middle class, for instance. They see all these people that are happy with seemingly very little compared to the you know the ruling elites. And they and they and for they they latch on to different issues to explain why they're so unhappy. When really, what it comes down to is that there's there's just a fundamental um, mismatch between this the society of people and the way people get along and the way people cooperate with each other and a per, and a person and who knows a lot of it well a lot of it probably is rooted in um, you know kind of the, the the cliched bad childhood you know people who are, who for for whatever childhood experiences um, just can't fit in the world but there's also an important kind of um, um, like genetic aspect uh, to it too, because there's a, a big genetic component to to like personality disorders, for instance. Like so, so in, in the extreme case of psychopathy, you get someone who's you know a psycho uh, a person with a a high probability or predisposition towards psychopathy who can be born in a in just in a in a great family, you know, with material possessions, but they but they always want more. Their personality doesn't doesn't mesh with normal society. They'll they'll end up being antisocial. They'll end up stealing even though they don't need to steal, or you know, getting in fights when they don't need to get in fights, and then can turn into a you know a white collar criminal or or, or a serial killer later on. <clears throat> so you have this group of people who are totally um, um, railing against the system because of their own personal psychopathology, who then need to get a. Um, well, feel the need to do something to bring about a change in the situation, a global change, because it's it's the world that, that it's the world that is the problem. It's society that's that is the problem, not me. You know, I don't have a problem. It's it's the, all these other assholes, and and so what we need to do is totally have a complete revolution where everything changes and where everything is good. It's like there's this nebulous idea of of another world that we're somewhere that somewhere where everything will be okay, and that isn't just normal society, which is fine for the vast majority of people. There, there needs to be something else. And they don't know quite what it is, but what it comes down to is a, is a dream of power. It's like, well, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm going to be the one in charge because, because, uh, well, the, obviously all these other people, there's something wrong with them. So, and I know I've got a pretty good idea that this world is hell. And so, well, even though I don't know what it might look like, as long as I'm in charge, and the people, people like me, people who think the way I do, as long as we're in charge, then it, it can't help but in, inevitably become what what would what will make us feel um, like accepted and whole and and like we're we're in the right place and like society is is doing something for us and not constantly oppressing us. So I think that's where the psychopathology angle comes into it, and 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 the induce inducement of or induction of psychopathology in others because to get that that revolutionary gang going you need to get converts so you need to get people that will that will sign up to what you're doing so you have to you have to like marcuse said you have to convince them that they are miserable like me you know i'm miserable so i'm going to get you to, i'm i'm going to have to convince you that you're also miserable and here are all the reasons why you're miserable and well it works to a degree you know cuz you'll always there's always going to be a 
there's always fish in the pond. Were you going to say something? Yeah. Or I go ahead. Yeah, no, I want just to um yeah, to, to say something about that too um because um uh, uh the the thing is um th this seems as you said to to work pretty well actually um to convince people that they're that they are actually mis miserable right because usually there is um there's some a kernel of truth in that i mean mm -hmm. it began with the whole alienation thing with marx right and and that was taken up after the war a big time uh, the idea that uh, as you're, you're so alienate, alienate alienated <laughs> um, entfremded in german <laughs> um from from your your work right you're just a cock in the machine um you know charlie chaplin's modern times uh i think is is a riff on on that that kind of idea um and uh, obviously that there is a is a kernel of truth in that uh that you know the modern workplace uh, or the modern working conditions that can be pretty pretty rough and pretty meaningless um mm -hmm. but uh, i think james lindsay says something really really good um about that and he says that um even if you come to the conclusion you know that that there's it's really meaningless you know what what, what your life or what you're doing here or what society imposes on you you know even if if that's your conclusion then the the proper answer is well find meaning right i mean it's it's an individual thing and everyone can do it uh it's it's something that you have to figure out for yourself right um and and that's the crucial difference between uh let's say um seeing a certain meaninglessness in in a certain oppression um from society that naturally like exists and uh, arguably um is is still with us and and uh, maybe in the earlier days it was even harder you know in certain certain working conditions uh but uh the the wrong answer is okay let's let's break the whole thing down uh so that that's the the answer of these uh, marxist types that seek to disrupt everything uh, to uh you know just stop the machine and and sabotage society uh, basically um and and that's where i think where the the pathology comes in or the pathological element when when you just you know s stop seeing a problem and and then uh finding a way to to deal with it in in your own life um uh, and go go about uh, basically destroying the whole thing uh yeah so and it's it's also uh, one point about that another point might be that it's interesting to see that it's often like the artists and creative types who who are the, at the forefront of of these kind kinds of things mm -hmm. and uh, it it might might be uh, kind of natural because uh, usually the creative types they are like um how you say like um uh, they have a disposition uh towards uh, like feeling feeling maybe a bit oppressed by like um f like the 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 work ethic mm -hmm. and and uh, all the demands society places on them and to a degree mm -hmm. that's that's maybe even healthy to have such people um who are yeah. a bit more disruptive uh, a bit more creative and don't fit so well uh, into like the standard um standard uh, 
features of 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 your of the period in in question uh but they also might be like very susceptible to 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 these ideas that then um go beyond uh, a, a healthy uh, disruption let's say a healthy criticism and a healthy energy you know that society needs as well mm. and uh, again uses these these impulses uh, and turns them or redirects them towards a very very destructive um, philosophy that basically uh, wants to dismantle everything and uh, Uh, especially use these kinds of uh, Freudian arguments, Harrison, as you said, because um, uh, you hear that a lot, and you, um, I heard that also, like back in the days, you know, this idea that um, so it only looks like a happy family, right? But uh, beneath the surface, it, it can't be happy. They just don't know it. <laughs> they're yeah. not happy, and they just fall fallen for the propaganda and for the, uh, you know, for for the cliches and for 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 the pressure and and it's all unconscious uh, you know and 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 that's that's really uh that's a really dangerous line to cross i think and and once you get that that whole package together right um uh basically some pathological people who who basically seek seek power and want to liberate their psychopathic selves basically and uh And do whatever they want, and overtake uh, society, and impose their norms on on their crazy norms on society. Um, and once you have those, uh, you know, take on like the the normal people who are just maybe seeing that something is wrong, um, or that life can be meaningless, or the creative types who who are naturally like a little bit um, more open to to all kinds of things. And and once they they're on board then there's a very dangerous and explosive mixture um that yeah can can basically blow up a, a whole society mm -hmm. yeah that that's a really good point i think and it reminds me of radical environmentalism and how all of the disinformation around climate change has been propagated by the very people who would uh ultimately seek to profit from environmentalism and carbon taxing and, uh, you know, introducing new uh, and disgusting forms of uh, protein substitutes instead of beef and eat insects and, and all of these things. And, and so, the, you know, and you have this diversity, equity and, and inclusion uh, moniker also propagated by the same group of people who have the... Um, Uh, the the ability to influence through political and social means their their messaging, and you have this whole other strata of individuals who don't realize how subject they are to the uh, the the lies and the policies that would make them feel good about themselves for uh, for identifying and being righteous about um, advocating for these policies. They don't realize how it's been turned against them. And um, for some reason, what, what you were talking about, Luke, reminded me a bit of uh, the movie Fight Club, which uh, some of us rewatched not too long ago and, um, and realized that it was a, a true kind of um, description of nihilism in, in what the Fight Club was establishing to do. They wanted to destroy. 
you know, at first what begins as this, um, you know, reclaiming of manhood becomes this kind of destructive terrorist cell that seeks to disrupt in, in all of these destructive manners. And it's, uh, its main proponent uh, at the end, we discover, has been suffering from multiple personality disorder. Uh, so he's got this, you know, this... Spoiler! This, this two, you know, well, if, it, if people haven't watched it by now, they're not going to see it. It's only, it's only 20 years old. Uh, uh, so, but, and in that sense, the artist, you know, as you say, is bringing attention in a, in a kind of an interesting way to how uh, ostensibly good um, movements um, actually uh, are capable of turning destructive uh, quite easily, um, especially when they are led by individuals who are uh, in some form or, or another pathological. Um, and one other point uh, that was super relevant, this idea that, uh, so one of the stepping stones in in this uh, in race Marxism and cultural Marxism, uh, postmodernism, which we've talked about on the show here a number of times, and um, Lindsay's very uh, very succinct about that. He says, you know, you have you have the the thesis and the antithesis, but instead of creating a a, a synthesis, um, if I said that correctly, uh, you have nothing. You're left with nothing. You're left with nihilism. You're left with meaninglessness, and um, and that, as soon as you destroy any semblance of of meaningfulness in an individual's life, uh, it's like you know, it's like you're destroying um, any kind of, or rather, you're creating the ability to program an individual off in that new direction. Uh, in in what whoever is um, the the leading philosopher or political leader, uh, whatever they want you to think or be uh, or enact, that they're going to introduce that. It's like it, it's um, what is the there's a term in brainwashing when you're kind of um, left with a blank slate. You're 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 utterly uh, bereft of, of any former values or, or personality or uh, former ways of thinking. In any case, you're, you are the blank slate. You are whatever they want you to think and believe because they've, they've managed through their ideas to destroy um, anything that was of lasting value or, or constructive to begin with. I've got five points in in uh in response to our entire discussion that i want to link together and uh and get out there so first on the topic of kernels that truth have, that have come up um so in, in two contexts one behind all of these ide ideologies there's always like a kernel of truth like luke mentioned a couple times and i want to tie this into to to, to to bring back the freud example so 
the, the same thing goes for the example of Freudianism, like the 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 kind of little example that I brought up about telling someone that they're just they're just denying something that they that they don't want to admit is true, because that actually does happen and that can be true. It's often true that a person is in denial in denial of what their actual motivations are. So sometimes, so oftentimes it's very easy for someone else to see it. So they can say, no, you know, you're just not seeing things correctly. You're, you've got all these, your emotions are getting in the way. You're not seeing things clearly. This is what's actually going on. This is why you're doing what you're doing. And that can be completely accurate. And the person just doesn't want to hear it and doesn't want to admit it. The problem with Freudianism, or one of the problems with Freudianism, is that, um, well, A, the analyst could just be wrong, um, but they might be wrong by applying a an overall theory that is not up to the task at hand. So not everything, they might be overly focused on sexuality, for instance, and might be missing what's actually going on because they're imposing their own um, interpretation of what must be when it might not actually be the case. So the way the, the similarity or another of the similarities between like this Freudian approach and critical race theory is it's the same kind of gaslighting going on because one of the central tenets of critical race theory is that race is the central organizing principle of modern society. And so when for, for a critical race theorist, when you've got all your levels of explanation, the very bottom the, that they come down to is race, as if everything extends from race and there's nothing below race. So if there's nothing below race and, and you can see it in their, in their statements where they, this is this is what they believe, and this is what their ideas are founded on, that race is the source of everything, and that that, that racial systemic power uh, you know, of whiteness contributes to everything. And because of this, everything has, everything has to be viewed from, from the lens of critical race theory, because nothing, um, it's not possible for anything to be uh, outside of that framework. <clears throat> so as as Lindsay quotes, um, I believe it was Robin D'Angelo, in one of her presentations, she says something like, it's not how did racism, or it's not did, did racism manifest in this situation, it's how did racism manifest in this situation. So, you, so you'll be put in, any, anyone can be put in a position, even um, people that are intersectionally connected to the critical race theory crowd, like let's say some type of feminist, anyone can be a, a target because if they say, oh, well, no, this isn't the, this isn't a result of racism. Well, I'll, I'll backtrack a bit. Another of the tenets of critical race theory is that every disparity of outcome or every, um, is that the word? Um, every social disparity or, or every um, inequality that you can find, whether it's in test results um, or, um, you know, salaries or whatever, any disparity you can possibly find in society is a result of, of structural racism. So if you compare, um, you know, a black group with a white group on how many are in a particular, um, uh, profession, if there's a disparity, the answer will be, well, that is because of racism. And if there is a, uh, because of whiteness specifically, and if there is an Asian, if there's an Asian population that's even higher than, than, um, than the white population, well, that too is a result of, of white supremacy. And because everything has to be a result of white supremacy. And whenever any, whenever that thesis or conclusion is denied, that is only further evidence of a more insidious form of racism. So it is not possible for anything not to be racist. Everything by definition is racist, except 
when it's when it's us, when it's the CRT people. But even then, they can use that uh, to their own advantage because, like Robin D'Angelo, she can totally admit to being a total racist and just having to struggle through it and have it's a lifelong commitment to self analysis and and you know and change. So um, so it it becomes it's this it's this prison it's this inescapable box that you can't escape out of, and there's always going to be a response that. That uh, if you disagree with them, the only reason that you can possibly disagree with them is because you are not a critical race theorist, because you are a racist, because they're racists too, if they admit it, unless they are part of the, unless they've got really good anti-racist cred. So they have to like match all of the intersectional boxes in order to, to be untouchable. Um, but if they, but you can also be a critical race theorist and not check all those boxes and just admit to being, um, you know, a racist and to being to constantly having to to engage in anti-racism, which is the praxis of critical race theory. So that's the kind of Freudianism that comes out and that it, you can't you can't escape it. there's there's always a there's always a response that will say that no, you're wrong. and and you and the fact that you think you're wrong is more evidence that you're wrong. So it's it, you can't argue with it. Um, this this plays itself out in um, in the like paranoid, uh, paranoid flavor of a lot of it, because like Lindsay says repeatedly, this is a paranoid conspiracy theory that, that, that white people have imposed or historically Im and, and continually and, and contemporarily have imposed this for very precise purposes. And everyone's engaged in it, whether every, every uh, person who has whiteness or, has, or who is white adjacent is engaged in this either knowingly or unknowingly to, to reinforce and, and maintain this system of oppression. And he gives an example from um, from Derek Bell in in a, an example of what he calls like a counter story. So these are kind of fictional um, teaching tales, like almost like the the anti parable <clears throat> of of just kind of paranoid fantasies that he uses to make a point. And of course, because it's a it's a fantasy, because it it has no bear, bearing on reality, no 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 connection with reality, it can only be used to take someone further from reality, not to, not to give them a better understanding of the world as it actually is. And so he gives an example of like this, um, this town, imagine that this town with a lot of, um, um, of black, like a black community with high crime. And imagine they were able to, to, to automatically just magically get rid of all the crimes. So there's no longer any, um, you know, no one, there, there's no youths that are doing drugs, robbing, stealing, you know, skipping school, participate, participating in gang activity. And then, but then what you see is things start getting better and better and the police have less and less to do. And so all of a sudden, all these police officers and correctional institutional, you know, workers are losing their jobs and people realize, oh my God, our entire economy was founded on on crime being uh, on this black crime. So then at the very end of the story, they, um, they realize this and they, and they find, Oh, cause it, it was a magic pill that had, that had cured the crime problem. And so they, they find the source. So these, um, you know, the people who have discovered that they've lost all of their, uh, their entire economy find the source of these pills and they blow it up to, to bring crime back. And of course it's a, so this is like, Lindsay rightly calls this a totally paranoid fantasy because it has no no basis in reality. Like again, there might be a, a kernel there that yeah, there are there are police departments that depend on you know certain activities to to get their funding, but there's no economy that is totally 
found, like no American um, city economy that is totally founded on crime like this, that everything would just fall apart. And then there would need to be this like false flag operation to bring crime back. Um, it is just a, a paranoid fantasy. And this ties into what we were talking about, the, the ponderological element of this, that there, that the, the kind of the schizoid and the paranoid worldviews, because yeah, like, frankly, like Marcuse's whole worldview is very schizoid. Um, you know, Bell's is, is paranoid. When you start with these distorted worldviews, um, that's then, then, well, it's part of the induction of psychopathology. Now this, uh, so now moving on to, to point number four, I'm almost done. The, the idea of artists. Um, I agree with Luke that and Dabrowski would agree too, and he would he would call this the difference between positive and negative maladjustment. You need some um, some well, you definitely need positive maladjustment. Uh, so these are these are the people that were, are maladjusted to society, but they're maladjusted to the what you know, I guess I would call like objectively pathological aspects of of society. And you often find people like this um, who are who are outsiders in a sense, but they, but they're not, uh, they're not like the criminal outsiders. Negative maladjustment will be people who are just out to destroy because they don't fit in. Um, and artists, artists are kind of like these, um, liminal characters who can go one way or to go or go the other way. You can have examples of artists who are totally, totally negatively maladjusted. And th these could be like the, like the, the sadists, like, like Mark, uh, with reference to Marquis de Sade, the, the, because there are many writers and artists who are just like objectively sick people, um, who who are in, who are into art and expressing themselves because there's you know they've got a lot of they've got a lot of uh, uh, problems put it that way, and but then you'll get artists who are just kind of like they are outsiders and like you say they're they're on the 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 borders of society and they don't quite fit in but they're but they're necessary and they create something that uh, that contributes to to a society. Um, and this relates to queerness because the the uh, like queer ideology is explicitly the rejection of the category um, and the validity of the the category of abnormality. That the the very category of abnormality is oppressive against those who are abnormal, and this can apply in a sexual sense, but it can apply in any sense. So. And it can be taken to extremes, and by its very logic, goes to extremes. <clears throat> you know whether whether a lot of these people are are aware of it, aware of it or not. So you can feel like oh you don't fit in, and so then queerness is a very is a is an ideology that's very attractive because oh well that that like it's ever again it's everyone else that's the problem. Um, just because I don't fit in, that doesn't mean that I should be um, made to feel any less than anyone else, or you discriminated against in any way, I should be able to live my life however I want it. And there, you know, there, there can be, I'd say, you know, some validity to that in certain circumstances, but then you get to the point where there's like, uh, pedophiles. Well, I'll just use the example of pedophilia, for example. Um, you've have the, uh, you have the example of pedophiles who are discriminated against by society. And it's just a social category that classifies them as abnormal. And, um, and really, we should be um, more more accepting and and breaking down all these boundaries and all these categories of ab normality and abnormality and pathology and norm and psychological normality. So just break that all down. But by breaking that all down, that's that's what this the the point of this is is to is to allow people with um, with the most dangerous types of abnormalities to 
to um, have their revolution. And what most people don't realize and what Lindsay points out numerous times is that a lot of the the fellow travelers, the people that are along for the ride, who have been convinced that they're miserable, who have been convinced that we just need to tear down the system, well, they're the first against the, you know, they're, they're, they're the first to the guillotine. They're the first to, um, you know, up against the firing squad once the revolution takes over. That's how these things happen. And then it's the it's the creme de la creme. It's the the worst of the worst that actually, the, the people who are, that are willing to use any means necessary, um, the most abnormal, the most psychopathological, who end up being the ones to to come out on top in the revolution. So, um, yeah, those were the, I think those were the main points that I wanted to make. Great summary. Wow. <laughs> that, was, that was good. Um, and like, if I was going to, to make a criticism of Lindsay's book, it would be on, on that lack of um, really explicating the, the pathological nature of uh, the, the people who come up with these theories and then also the grifters who are intentionally using this as a means of unleashing their own uh, sick inner nature. So like the, the pedophiles who get arrested at the, uh, at the riots, the, the Black Lives Matter riots, the, the arsonists, the um, career criminals mm -hmm. who, who all latch on to CRT and Black Lives Matter and all of these kinds of things because they see it as an opportunity for them to do all of the things that they've always wanted to do, which is the, the oppressive nature of uh, society that they're talking about wanting to revolution, like wanting a revolution against. That's what we're, that's what they're talking about. That's how they feel. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're using it for their ends because that's what this is all about. And so that's, that's kind of like my, my big criticism is that that's not more uh, highlighted and explicated and, and central because that's what they're, even though it's not explicitly stated, it is central to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, this this uh, opening up of society for pathological reasons. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and the pathology, the pathology is baked in. Yes, and that's what people don't realize. Like the, it's baked in for two reasons. Well, maybe three. So one, because there, there's pathology, like. A lot of the people that are actually writing down these ideas are pathological in one way or another, like either paranoid personality disorder or schizoid personality disorder. And um, another is because it's kind of a a knock-on effect of when you have when you have a bad idea that just is is just wrong, it's it's by it's by its very nature pathological. It does it doesn't conform to reality, and it uh, and it it breaks when it when it comes up against reality. And it's it's maladjusted to reality, like that's kind of the definition of psychopathology, and um, can't get along in um, like well, if you look at personal psychopathology, it's when it causes you, uh, like at least in reference to personality disorders, it's when it's when it causes you problems in your life and in your relationships, and causes and if not causes if if you don't think it causes you problems, then it definitely causes problems for the people around you that you're involved with. And, and you just won't take that responsibility. So there's these, it, it's, it's the perfect, it's the perfect vehicle for, for psychopathology because it's just, um, wrong on so many levels and it's actually got, it, it's got actual psychopathology 
baked in from the very beginning. So it can't help it can't help but go in that direction. And that's the case with um, arguably with Marxism in general and with um, well with any of these kind of utopian uh, utopian ideologies, it's because this comes back to something I said about um, CRT seeing race as the fundamental organizing principle or racism as the fundamental organizing principle of society. It's that, and there's nothing underneath that. Well, what in fact is underneath that? Well, in fact, underneath that is a whole lot. It's all of human nature, all of the entire history like, and propensity of people to, to get along. And at least in the last um, several thousand years to cooperate in, in like giant mega civilizations. And none of that is, is taken into account. In fact, that's, it's inverted. Everything that is, that is actually a result of either human biological and psychological nature, that everything have, has to be viewed as if that is on top of racism. When racism, as it actually exists, is a small subset of the things that follow from human nature and, and human history. And so it's just completely backwards and cannot possibly lead to anything um, constructive or uh, creative or that actually works in the real world. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to uh, bring up one term that Lindsay uses um, a couple of times and that uh, encapsulates a bit what you just said, Harrison, I think, um, about this weird idea of... Um, Uh, substituting basically human nature and reality with uh, some some crazy conspiracy um, like whiteness or like yeah and whatever categories like patriarchy and all that and that's uh, a gnosticism or scientific gnosticism uh, he calls it mm. and i thought that's that's kind of interesting uh, how he put it um so he says like religious gnos gnosticism is is kind of the idea that um We're basically living under the thumb of some kind of evil god or evil demon or whatever and in some kind of prison matrix um, <laughs> that we need to break free from, right? So, the, I mean, it's an old esoteric idea uh, to, uh, yeah, to, to kind of get, get to the higher level or, or whatever and escape the, the you know, the, the, the prison that is the earthy existence. Um, and then he says, I mean, he, he finds that bad enough, right? But then he says, there's this now this scientific Gnosticism where it's not a religious or esoteric idea anymore, but it's, it's, uh, pretended to be based on science, right? And, and I mean, the, these critical race theorists and, and gender studies people and all that, obviously they, they they are in the academia and in universities and they they pretend they 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 are a science right and uh, and he also says um that uh, you know the the german word for science wissenschaft is actually more broad and it it encompasses the the humanities as well so um it they they kind of use that as a, as a sort of cover and i thought this idea of scientific uh, gnosticism um it's is really apt uh, it's they they basically they pretend that they have figured out um a way to to describe you know what 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 the whole world is ruled by and then come to their conclusion so it's for example racism um so they they suppress um 
like all of the deeper things that might be going on, like um, human nature and and uh, even like transcendence, um, spirituality, and all of that. Uh, it's it's just all you know a, a result of racism or of whiteness, you know, or or of the patriarchy or uh, whatever the term might be, and and that's just super super weird and super dangerous and uh i think really has has a, a strong pathological flavor to it because then uh you can say all right i mean we we are like everything that i don't like like for example that you know if 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 a pedophile doesn't like feels oppressed by by society you can say oh uh it's just you no know, whiteness um constructed this idea that pedophilia is abnormal uh, or mm -hmm. it's the patriarchy uh, or it's the bourgeoisie you know or or whatever the term might be and and then um can can blame every like this stuff that is like just you know should be normal and it's like embedded in human nature and and even deeper perhaps uh, and can just brush it away and claim it's it's this weird um evil conspiracy that that has come up with it right like family um it's it's a trope you know i mean it's the bourgeois family it's it's a con construct of the of the bourgeois class you know and all that and and obviously um of nowadays of, of the patriarchy or, or whiteness uh, yeah so it's it's a really dangerous um road to travel uh this this sort of scientific gnosticism and and i think that's that's a it's a very good good way of putting it mm. well i've got some thoughts on 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 his use of gnosticism but i think i think we'll yeah. wrap it up here yeah, yeah. yeah because uh um well i think what we'll do is maybe next week or in a, in a couple of weeks we'll we'll have another talk on this book where we get into more of the um what does he call them the the proximate and uh, the proximate and deep ideological origins of CRT. So that way we can get a into a little bit more of like the historical, um, maybe maybe even more on the deep ones because we did talk a bit about Marcuse and stuff like that. But we'll get more into the the deep history of of these types of things, and then we can talk a little bit about Hegel and uh, and uh, and German dialectic. Yes, and uh, and maybe come back to the idea of Gnosticism because uh, I'll have some things to to say about that too. So is, does anyone else have have any points that they wanted to make? before we wrap up for the day? Um, I just wanted to uh, to give the definition of oh, yeah. critical race yeah, theory now idea. that we've gone through the entire show and, yes. and never actually uh, given James Lindsay's uh, very succinct, very appropriate uh, definition uh, of CRT because I actually had a conversation uh, with my brother um, late last year uh, where, you know, he was talking about my parents and some of the stuff that they were talking about. And he saw it as being, you know, it's somewhat silly, especially when no one can define a thing. Uh, and so I, I tried to give an approximate definition. And I realized at the time, it's like, man, this is so overwhelming and so all over the place. Like, I, because it's so hard to pin down and, and on purpose. Um, so with all that said, to James Lindsay's, you know, perfect summation, uh, definition it's actually how he starts chapter one, defining critical race theory. Um, 
A belief that racism created by white people for their own benefit is the fundamental organizing principle of society. Um, and, uh, and then he goes on a little later to say that it is an activist movement based upon a motivated study of what is called systemic racism and how that phenomenon defines power and creates oppression in society. Um, so basically, uh, critical race theory is the belief that racism uh, created for white people by white people for the benefit of white people <laughs> um, is basically what, what underpins all of Western society. So that's. Yeah. He gives several definitions throughout the text that kind of expand on each other and all come together. So I'll read two more. One more is uh, one other one is again, from the be very beginning of the book, critical race theory noun calling everything you want to control a racist until it is fully under your control. That was a good one. And this is the yeah, one where he kind of puts like a bunch of them one. together. <laughs> Critical race theory is a revolutionary and broadly neo-Marxist mode of activism based upon the belief that the fundamental organizing principle of society is systemic racism, which it asserts was created. Oh, yeah. And this is the part you said was created and is maintained by white people in order to preserve a social structure that provides a multitude of unjust advantages over people of color, especially blacks. So there are numerous um, pithy or longer definitions scattered throughout those uh well throughout the book but those are the ones that come to mind so with that said we finally provided the <laughs> definitive definition <laughs> of critical race theory and uh we'll be back next week maybe to talk about this some more or maybe that'll be in a couple of weeks we'll decide later and in the meantime thanks everyone and take care <laughs>